Welcome to the Sisterhood of Healing podcast, the podcast that wants to help you reach your best and most divine potential. Each week, we dive into topics concerning inner healing, wellness, and spirituality. We discuss strategies and practice from our own personal experiences regarding higher energies, trauma, and connecting to the divine as we take you through our own personal journeys to discover the highest versions of ourselves. In combination with guest speakers, we bring you a comprehensive guide to mental and spiritual wellness and the ability to connect to yourself and the world around you on a deeper level. I'm Nicole. And I'm Christina. And we are two sisters who want to take you along on our spiritual and healing journey. We are each on our own individual healing and spiritual path and bring unique perspectives regarding yoga, chakra healing, meditation, intuition, and trauma healing. Sometimes life is messy, sometimes it's confusing, and sometimes everything falls perfectly into place. Join us as we navigate the path to divine enlightenment together. Welcome sisters, brothers, and non-binary listeners to episode nine of the Sisterhood of Healing podcast. Today we have Karim Platarzik on the podcast, and today we're going to be discussing trauma. So welcome, Karim. Hi, hello. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you two doing? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on to the podcast with us for this episode. Yeah, Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very excited. Yeah, we are so interested. I mean, you're here to talk about trauma and we're we're so interested in this area. I mean, we have had conversations about trauma, but don't know anything about trauma and the technical aspects of it and, and the different levels. Um, so we're really excited to learn from you today. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. we like randomly connected on Instagram. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah How did this We have been talking about wanting to do an episode on trauma and then like the universe provided us with your contact information oh my gosh alignment I love it (laughs) yeah I love it I love how things work out like that yeah it's so fantastic (laughs) I love it alignment (laughs) so are you able to give us an introduction uh, maybe a background like tell us who you are and what you do yeah absolutely um, so as you kind of said my name, my name's Corinne. Um, I have my master's in forensic psychology. Um, and I originally, before that, I had um, my bachelor's in criminal justice with a background in social work. After I graduated with my bachelor's, um, I really focused in on victims and offenders within the system. So the psychology of people within the system. Um, So from there, I went into the mental health field for about three years. And what I recognized is that I thought that I was going into work with mental health, but this mental health actually was trauma, really. Um, working with these youth, I, I specialize in children and adolescents specifically. I really, really actually people um, in this field think sometimes I'm a little bananas, but I love adolescents. <laughs> I work with teenagers too. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I, I work with adolescents. Um, and so what I was noticing is that 
we've defined them as mental health or a mental illness or maybe a developmental disability, but what we're forgetting to recognize and understand is the trauma behind it. What led up there? What happened? Um, it seems like at that point too, and this was just 2013, but things were still so behavior focused rather than looking at it from a holistic point of view. So I, yeah, that really got my gears going. Um, and then I moved out to Rhode Island, relocated, and um, ended up stepping out of the field to really determine next steps. And that's when I went for my master's in forensic psychology. So yeah, that's the education background. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is really cool. I, um, I've always been of the mindset as well that, you know, we always treat the, um, the symptom and not the, the source of the kind of like what you said. So we're, we're so quick to say like, Hey, this is your behavior. How are we going to fix this behavior? But we, we need to go deep. And I, I think, I mean, you would know better, but I think we're starting to do that a little bit now anyways, in like the profession that I see, like when we, when we, um, uh, have a student that perhaps we need to recommend to the social worker. Like I know the social worker will to the best of their ability with the, the amount of times they can attend uh, school because the resources are limited. They, it, they seem to be, you know, trying to get down to like the root cause of it, but yeah, there's so many underlying things. It's all systemic. That's what I always say. It's all like, it all is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're, I mean, like you said, Right now, I think this day and age, we're really starting to get to the root of things and starting to understand the need for a holistic perspective. We have a very, very, very long way to go. Um, but that's why I'm choosing to, you know, speak out about it and talk about it and um, really make it more of a norm because society tends to hear things that they don't want to hear or that can be really scary or frightening and turn their ear to it but things are going to happen regardless look at the global pandemic um, and and collective trauma trauma is going to happen um so the more that we know and understand how it's going to impact us and how we're going to or maybe just we don't know how we're going to respond until something happens but until we have a general sense then we're just walking around blind and we can't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Do you ever get any resistance regarding, so you said that, um, you know, when you just said, is there ever any resistance in how you approach trauma with people saying, um, you know, you're, you're looking too much into it or you're thinking too much about it or like, do you ever have that kind of resistance? Yeah. Uh, all the time, <laughs> all the time. It's, uh, I'm being an empath. I'm, I'm just thinking too much. I'm feeling for them too much. Literally the keywords that comes with empath. Um, honestly, in my prior role, I was a clinician on a residential campus, specifically with um, adolescents who had a significant history of complex trauma. Ultimately, the system failed them. They had no permanency and they end up with us. Um, and every single day, what we would do as clinicians is fight for the system to understand why they are the way they are and 
and not even they are the way they are, like why we're seeing the behaviors we're seeing and why they distrust. I mean, it's crazy to think you have to explain to outside resources and providers why someone with no home, no connection to family, no support um, is, is, you know, maybe a little angry, but, <laughs> but that's the realistic factor and aspect of like working, working with the system and in the system. Yeah. So you mentioned empathy and mm-hmm. we talked about this like the last like few weeks that like, what we've heard and you can just give us your opinion on this like nothing supported by any studies or anything um, that empathy is actually a response to trauma and like learning to read the room. Eek. Fine line. Uh, I, 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 okay, so I see, I can understand the thought process behind it. However, just because someone's an empath, I know plenty of empaths who have, (laughs) like, who have never come forward and said, you know, Corinne, I have this history of trauma, or I've had a traumatic event happen, um, and I'm having this trauma response, response. I know plenty of empaths that have you know, again, come forward saying that. So, but I, I see, I see the under, I see the perspective in that um, hypervigilance yes. is, is part of a trauma response. So it's that need to constantly be scanning. And that's like that neuroscience aspect of it. It's like a little lighthouse that it's just scanning your environment and being hypervigilant to your surroundings. Um, because you're constantly looking to see if there is something that is perceived as a threat or danger, um, because that's what happens. Um, there's no safety when a traumatic event occurs. So although the empathy thing, I can see why someone might say it, I would very much argue that. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair. Yeah, I I understand why people make that claim, but I think you can have empathy without um, having a traumatic Mm -hmm. experience and and responding to things in a traumatic, hypervigilant way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because it takes away, and uh, that gets me into like societal conditioning and like why trauma happens and collective trauma and oppression and discrimination. Um, why we're just in a perpetuating cycle of abuse. Um, Because by saying empathy comes from traumatic experiences, it's minimizing the traumatic experience for one. And then it's also saying you have feelings, you're not allowed to have feelings, which is also a societal conditioning, right? (laughs) we're taught not to have feelings. Yes. And that, and as women, I'm, I'm sure you've had this experience, unfortunately, that you have feelings, you're passionate about something and you don't like something and you put it out there and you're crazy. Yeah. You're being like, yeah. If I, if I had a penny for every time someone said, oh, it's just because, you know, women are more emotional. That's why, yeah. that's why you think this. No, you're hormonal. It's that time of the month. That's, that must I be hate the that reason phrase. why you're yeah. going off. <laughs> oh gosh, get me going. 
<laughs> it's true. It's true. And it really is. I don't know if this is going too off topic, but I'm my one of my um I think one of the things that like I'm struggling with right now in my own like journey is understanding how much of our world has been conditioned how like men have been conditioned to be a certain day uh, way women have been conditioned to be a certain way and how frustrating it is and how you know it's it's almost like it's this thing that like I, I can't help this I can't I can't solve this and it's it's so frustrating to to realize that this kind of conditioning is going on all around you and you're impacted by it and trying to rise above it and and I mean, in your line of work, I mean, you see that all the time, like what the conditioning has done. And I mean, I see it working with students as well, like what the conditioning has done and we're a product of conditioning, like we're all a product of conditioning. And yeah, it's one of the most frustrating things I mm -hmm. think right well, now. And it's generational, like it's so hard to break that chain, mm -hmm. you know, like actions, behaviors, mindsets that... Mm -hmm always known like how do you there's comfort you about that yeah and like I think there's comfort and conditioning for a lot of people too right habitual yeah mm -hmm. so yeah if we've defined trauma yet so how would oh. you differentiate between trauma and perhaps a negative experience so, so the APA defines trauma, the American Psychological Association defines trauma as an emotional response to basically a terrible event, like an accident, rape, or natural disaster. Um, and ultimately, um, trauma impairs one's ability to function with under a daily routine, whether it's physical, mental, social, emotional, their spiritual well-being is completely impacted? Um, I think that's a really, really good question. And I'm going to sit with that more because one of the biggest things that I say to people is that trauma is trauma is trauma is trauma. Um, it, it doesn't, unfortunately, the severity of it or what we've come to understand as a more traumatic experience and that traumatic experience doesn't matter. Trauma doesn't care. It's, it, it just latches into your body. It happens. Um, and then it's expressed through those emotional disturbances. So um, I think I would have to look at, that's something I would definitely look into like a case by case if I were to ever like explore that topic more like look at it like case by case okay what are we talking about what's like the the not so great incident right what's the what is that specifically to be able to answer that more yeah yeah that would make sense because everything's like relative and there's so many variables to that yeah like the way that I um like experience an event could be traumatic for me but it might not be traumatic for you right mm -hmm. yeah it's very mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. and and that goes into actually really understanding intersectionality mm -hmm. and something that um is coming to fruition and really being understood more is is the difference how um 
how different intersects play into trauma. So like you said, an event could be traumatic for you, but maybe it's not traumatic for me. And why is that? And if we examine your race, your, um, what your, your status, if we examine whether or not you are defined as having a disability, um, if we look at your education, if we look at your gender, if we look at your gender expression, if we look at your sexual orientation. So understanding now just we're, we're branching out and understanding that, again, like you said, just because an incident isn't traumatic for someone doesn't mean it's not traumatic for someone else because all these different factors come into play. Hmm. And you had mentioned, I think before we started recording, we were talking about trauma and like the collective trauma, and this might be a good time because you're talking about intersectionality. Um, what, what is that? Like, can you explain what collective trauma is and compared to individual trauma? Yeah, so collective trauma is, is, it's happening collectively as a whole. So with the global pandemic, that's happening as a whole. Um, it's not just happening in one sector of the world either. It's happening like all over, right? So it's that collective trauma. We are all experiencing this traumatic event, this, this continuous traumatic incident together. Whereas not collective trauma and that individual traumatic experience, you are experiencing that. You might be experiencing it with someone else. Maybe something happened, but collectively we are looking at it as a whole and kind of stepping off of that as, as many bad things come with the pandemic and negative things. I really think that we're at a time where people will be more willing to say, hey, I wanna talk about this stuff because at, at the root of trauma is that disruption and dysregulation. And that's what causes things to have that trauma response and get shooken up. I mean, this global pandemic, if we can't identify that as disruption and dysregulation, yeah. then I don't know what we can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I can definitely relate to that. I, I um, was definitely affected at the beginning of the pandemic. I had to cancel my wedding and I reschedule it five different times. And it just really like shook up my whole world. And that's kind of what led me down this healing path. Mm. Um, it provided me with an opportunity to start reflecting about things. Mm. So it was not all bad, <laughs> but I'm just one person and that's just one experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, like yeah. we've all had such, like there is a collective experience, but then everyone processes it in different ways, which is also fascinating. Like, you know, like Nicole went down this journey of like spirituality and healing and whatnot, but then, you know, I know people who have, have taken it really hard and who haven't been able to process it because like they're kind of stuck in the experience as well and mm -hmm. yeah they're like frozen in their emotions yeah because it really is yeah. traumatic right yeah it really mm -hmm. is it healing really is. is is not linear <laughs> no, no <way>. <laughs> it's not linear at all and you know going off of that too um for your healing process although so what 
if we were to go into like more technical terms, kind of like exploring that protective factor. So why were you able to have this traumatic event and like consistent uncertainty and like disruption? And why were you able to come out where you are where you are now? And when it comes to trauma, relationships are key. Mm-hmm. Having that support um, for for youth that are in the system, a youth in the system on a residential campus, um, whether that looks like a group home or maybe like they are able to go into a community, they do not have support. And it's it it doesn't mean that they're not resilient. It's it's that they've been every opportunity for support, if they've had that opportunity, has been stripped from them. Mm-hmm. Wow. I've I've taken um program called assist suicide uh, prevention training. Have you taken that together? Okay. So yeah. you know, um and in that program they say even just one caring adult, one caring friend, one caring person makes a difference. Like just having one connection, one person. So someone to depend on. Yeah. Yeah. One person. Yep. Just someone that you can reach out to, someone that, you know, cares. It really does make a difference to have that support system. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, I mean, that's something we touch base on too, is, is having that one person that's, it's amazing what you will see people do when they do have that one person. And I've, I mean, I think I've worked with adolescents and have the experience of like seeing them in this constant um, sympathetic state. So that that fight, flight, freeze, or fawn state, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of always scanning for threat or danger, not being able to make those connections, um, whether it's isolating and withdrawing or whether it's acting verbally and physically aggressive um, to, to experience the transformation that that an adolescent can have when they have one person who believes in them and one person who despite every time they throw something or they started a fight the night before, they come to them and say, what happened? What is going on? Talk to me. To, to have that one person, I mean, the transformation is, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's, it's amazing. And I think that's, that's a huge reason why I love um, working with adolescents in this line of work or working with anyone who's really experienced trauma, because to see them step into their own power and, and say like, I deserve this mm-hmm. is, well, <laughs> and that's wild. such a pivotal point in a person's development to adolescence, because there's so many influences. I mean, you're influenced by like your childhood, you're influenced by your current peers, you're, you're, you don't, you're uncertain about the future. Like it's such a pivotal point. So to, to be able to connect with adolescents, um, and help them through, like, like what you're saying, like help them through their traumas or, or like be that one person. It's, it's, I think it's so important. So when people are like, oh, teenagers, like it, no, like they're, they're just these like at this remarkable age well your brain correct me if I'm wrong but your brain um like develops until the age of 25 yep correct Mm -hmm. so 
and like I'm sure you've heard the phrase neurons neurons that fire together wire together wire together <laughs> like your brain like really is being formed and if you're living a life of trauma like that's what your brain is learning right mm-hmm. like that's how it's learning to respond to things on on that note actually I have a question perhaps you can answer um I've also heard a lot that if you have experienced trauma um prolonged anxiety prolonged depression that it actually changes your brain chemistry mm-hmm. yeah that's true mm-hmm. yeah so so that's part of that whole uh neurons that fire together or uh, am I saying it wrong yeah. <laughs> yep yep that's I always get the fire and wire mixed <laughs> I don't know um but that's part of that and and that's the that's one of the key things that I think people need to learn and walk away with mm-hmm. um, is being open to understanding how um, neuroscience really works. I, I get so frustrated when people use the phrases like, oh, you need to let it go. Mm-hmm. Oh, you need to move on. And I'm like, okay, I've, I've literally done this. I've literally like stopped because when I'm advocating for a youth say, like, I know they're about to freak out when they hear someone say that to them, I'll, I'll stop and I'll check my body and be like, okay, I told my body to let it go and move on. Like what change did you just see? What just happened from those words? Yeah. Nothing happened besides the fact you're telling me you have no idea how trauma actually works and how biology actually works and since you don't know why don't we sit here and talk about it mm-hmm. yeah, so. take that opportunity <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's it's I mean so off of that there's something that really pulled me into the neuroscience aspect and like drew my attention growing up I was had that societal conditioning of like oh, you process a little longer, specifically with science, Um, which means I just, I said, okay, whatever, I'm not supposed to be good at science. Well, taking this TCTSY trauma center, trauma-sensitive yoga certification, it's not that I'm not good at science. I need time to digest it. And I need to process it differently whether that means like applying it to different circumstances to make it click or just reading it repetitively or like speaking with people about it. The process is different and the education system, at least that I grew up in and I know exists right now is like, all right, move on. Yeah, You yeah. don't get it, which means you're bad at it. Yeah. yeah. That's how I grew up. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I actually wanted to go into growing up. I was always, I mean, I'm a history teacher, but I was always obsessed with um, ancient things and digging. I wanted to be a forensic anthropologist. Like that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. I was like nine years old. I realized, and then I got to high school. I'm like, well, I'm not good at science, I guess. So I'll just take a different route. Yeah. It's terrible. And our education is a little broken, but (laughs) that's neither here nor there. It's just so broken. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, makes me so mad. And I, I learned about the education system in the states as well, and and yeah, just the different districts and the funding, and it's really just not equitable. It really is not. No, and there's for specifically like being trauma informed. I mean, 
I've had some of my worst meetings and worst conversations with educators. <laughs> and for me, that blows my mind because you are supposed to go into this field to, to just be a prominent figure in these kids, these youth's lives. And this is how you're responding to them. And this is like, how, oh God, there's just like such a lack of understanding. Yes. Like even just specifically like with trauma and when someone, so there's complex trauma versus PTSD and, and a lot of people and I advocate for it and I talk about complex trauma all the time. So complex trauma happens um, throughout those vulnerable developmental stages. So it's it's during those times of childhood where um, you're, you meet all these developmental, you're supposed to have all these developmental milestones, but someone who's gone through adverse childhood experiences, which formulates into complex trauma, misses those milestones because they're too busy trying to figure out how to survive. Mm -hmm. So like, what kind of situation would that be? Like, would that be like the child being caught in the middle of like parents fighting or? Yeah, so so that ranges from um, experiencing physical abuse, emotional abuse, uh, having parents with substance abuse, having, having a sibling or someone in the household with the substance abuse. Um, I don't know if I said the sexual abuse, um, it's, it's those really, really physical neglect. Neglect is a really big one. I think people are starting to come around and say like, neglect's not just like a mental emotion and impairment and when suck it up. Uh, neglect, I mean, they don't get fed. Kids don't get fed. Uh, they, they don't really have a roof above their head. If they do have a roof above their head, sometimes it's, it's really scary <laughs> and, and it's, it's very real. So so those, those developmental milestones really don't get hit. So think of um, like a huge developmental milestone is learning how to walk, right? Mm -hmm. Well, learning how to walk when you don't have a caregiver, one that's attuned to you. And so it's, a, it's called dysregulated caregiving. So when you don't have a care, when you have a caregiver who's, who has dysregulated caregiving, they're not attuned to you and they're not attuned to your needs. Mm -hmm. um, so your needs aren't getting met. So even in that, like learning how to walk for, for the child, that's not their first priority. Mm -hmm. Their first priority is, am I going to find food? Am I going to be fed? Is there going to be an argument where I'm going to scream and cry because it's super, super scary? And this is the, this is the response pattern I've adapted. So um, this dysregulated caregiving, actually our, our atomic, uh, our nervous system starts shaping inside the womb. And that's when we can already start having these habitual response patterns formed. Hmm. So if, if you have two parents, two caregivers who are fighting and you're in the womb, you're learning those responses and you're already producing responses. You're learning, you're hearing, your nervous system is taking it in. It's taking, because the nervous system scans and connects with, the, with other people's nervous systems. So it's 
learning before you're even born, you are forming habitual response patterns. Wow, that's deep. Is is that in any way related to like when they talk about like generational trauma? Like, is it also formed in the womb? Wow. Yep. So that's so that's why generational trauma is super super real because our nervous system starts forming in the womb, and that's when we start responding to the external stimuli um, because of whatever that caregiving situation looks like. So I might not have known what my parents were doing before I was born, but it happened and my nervous system sensed it and it learned ways to respond. It learned ways that my mother responded. It learned ways about the other caregiver, how the other caregiver, whatever situation looks like, how they responded. And it learned ways of how to survive and adapted it. My mind is blown right now. I know. I'm <laughs> speechless. Wow. That is crazy. Like our bodies are so intelligent. Like, there's, I feel like there's so much about our bodies we don't know. Like, mm-hmm. I know there's a lot about the brain we don't know, but oh, I, mm-hmm. we don't, right. I have no words right now. We're still at a point where we're exploring it all because there's so much. Yeah. And we're so not connected to ourselves. Yeah. Like we're so disconnected from ourselves. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, disconnect with trauma too. That's the biggest thing. I mean, we expect all these people to, uh, I mean, you were saying we were talking about yoga at one point. So you want a person to connect with their body and like learn their body and gain that sense of control. Right. Well, a person who's experienced trauma isn't going to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. So actually by doing a yoga practice with assist even with um you know these lululemon yoga outfits that cost my whole arm and leg personally (laughs) I mean I would love to be able to afford it but I can't right now (laughs) that's actually establishing a power dynamic which actually perpetuates uh, a cycle of abuse and oppression so Yes. (laughs) yes that person who has I I am cert- I'm a certified yoga teacher. Um, I am a certified yoga educator and I'm going for a trauma center, trauma sensitive yoga facilitator. I have never stepped into a yoga studio. Hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Wow. So how did you start doing yoga? Sorry, this might be going a little off topic. No, but it, it that's the thing too, is I, I say I'm holistic and I've gone on this exploration with yoga and movement because it's actually all so related. That's how we stimulate the nervous system and get our, get us back and regulated. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why they're discovering. I mean, there's so many ins and outs that, that can go into it, but ultimately that's why they're discovering that movement, it, that expressive arts, that dance. Uh, we're speaking about the vagus nerve stimulating the vagus nerve through singing, projecting. Yeah. That's why that's so healing because you're regulating the nervous system. But I actually started doing yoga at home. <laughs> um, and I, I'm someone that those power dynamics, I feel them really hard. And whether it's because I'm an empath or because I've experienced trauma myself, I think it's all the above. Um, that I I shut down when there's a power dynamic. I like I'm a very like open, 
person who's like my presence is there I will literally like tighten in and collapse um because of this the the need to correct right so like an assist is telling you that what you're doing isn't right yeah and in that in itself is like a person who's has a history of complex trauma like great I'm not doing something else right mm-hmm. yeah yeah, it's so true. I know like when I'm teaching, I'm I'm aware of what my students are doing only to make sure that they're not injuring themselves. If they're not following every cue, they're not hurting themselves. I'm not going to tell you that you're doing something wrong because that's where you're at. And maybe that's where you need to be at in your mm-hmm. poses. And, and it's important too to recognize that like teaching from the modification, it sounds like I, I like applaud you for doing that. Um, because I think westernized yoga has turned into this like competition of who can do a headstand and yeah, that's yeah. not yoga. Yeah. 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 I used to be the student in class, like pushing myself. And then I started teaching and I was like, you know what, I'm going to demonstrate the modification. And most of the people still like, go like fully into the pose and they're probably not serving their body any good by doing that but I I will demonstrate modifying because like it shows people that that's okay if that's where Mm -hmm. you're at yeah Mm -hmm. and I've had a lot of people say like when Nicole became uh, a yoga teacher and you know like I'd been going to yoga before that like she got me into it but um, and I'm like, oh, like, why don't you come to yoga? Like my sister does it, or like, I'll, I'll welcome them to my, like my teacher's studio. Like, Hey, people say it, like, oh no, like I can't do all that fancy stuff. Like I'm not flexible. There's, I'm not flexible. I'm not flexible. That's always the big thing. I'm like, oh, I'm not flexible either actually. But like yoga is stretching. Like it's a practice. And I think like, I like, um, how you had mentioned before that there's a power dynamic that happens with yoga. And I think it's, it's so commercialized now that we're really losing the essence of what it should be like like you said it's not about headstands it's not about being super flexible like it's about connecting back to yourself and mm-hmm. when you connect back to yourself that's where a lot of that healing happens and I mean I'm not going to speak for you you're the expert but I'm assuming like once that healing happens that's where you can really get to the root of your trauma mm-hmm. yeah well so with trauma part of trauma is not being able to localize skin contact. So like if someone walked up to me and I am not healed, I have not shaken out my trauma or done whatever healing modality needs to be done. Um, and say someone pokes me on the shoulder, I could, I could maybe feel it in my, on my forehead. Like I might say like, why'd you poke me on the forehead? the the local localizing that skin contact, they have disassociated and disassociated, disconnected so much that it's actually, when you look at it from like neuroscience, you can say a road interoception, a road interoception. (laughs) Um, And and that's where your basic survival, like, okay, I feel that I'm hungry. So this is the response I'm going to have. I feel that I need water. I feel that I, you know, those basic needs that I feel that I need that gets turned off because all that matters is scanning that environment and making sure that you are safe because nothing has been safe for you. Um, so, so when that gets turned off, we, that's why 
there's disassociating and a person literally is so disconnected from their body they can't feel pain and sometimes people that have such histories of complex trauma you know they'll engage in those um self-destructive behaviors and sometimes they're doing it and they say i want to feel pain well they genuinely cannot feel pain their body has turned pain off because their lifestyle and what they've experienced has had so much pain that your nervous system said nah we can't do this we can't do this and it's it's wild that is so fascinating i've never understood that yeah. so thank you for explaining it that way mm-hmm. um how else uh, we want to ask you like what does trauma look like and and you'd mentioned like a lot of people don't really understand it some people don't think it's real like just get over it like what does trauma look like um how are some of the other different ways that we experience trauma and then like how does it manifest in our bodies? And I think you you just touched on some of those ways, but how are some of the different ways just so maybe our listeners can kind of understand a bit more? Or... Yeah, yeah. So um, it's how it presents. So if we're looking, I, I kind of go back to that youth and childhood um, and adolescent because I think it's the perfect representation and almost anyone that listens has had these experiences, I would say, um, or I'm making an assumption, but um, so there's take a youth, an adolescent who is presenting super defiant, really rude. They are not having it. I mean, everything that you present, they're either like, no, going out of the way to be like, nah, it's not happening. Or they're just very much making their presence known that they're not doing it and they're standing their guard. So how many times do we look at that as a behavior? So that's actually a trauma response because that's, a, that's attachment-based. And what we see in complex trauma is um, a lot of times it's more disorganized attachment. You have secure and insecure attachment. Um, and, and for that insecure attachment is when you have that disruption in the home and dysregulated caregiving. Um, so you have that avoidant again, I put it as like, not verbally and physically aggressive, like throwing everything you work in it, you work as an educator in the school. I know you can picture it. (laughs) Um, um, so it's, it's, it's that youth that's really just not doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, and no matter what you do, it's not happening. Mm -hmm. So so that's more of that defiance. Um, a lot of times people will categorize it as oppositional. So there's the, um, there's in the DSM-5, they, they have um, like conduct disorder too. And part of arguing with the conduct disorder and for trauma is that, well, that's an avoidant attachment or it's that's very defiant because no one has been supportive in their lives. Their caregivers have been so dysregulated. They don't know how to do a healthy, they call it rupture and repair work. So a fight, something happens and say you get in an argument and that it, it, there's that rupture. And then the repair work comes after and there's healthy rupture and repair work. And a lot of times with complex trauma, what happens is there's not that repair work. So it's constant rupture, 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 rupture. 
So they learn a trauma response to, to literally present as I'm defiant, I'm tough, I'm not gonna get attached to this person. I'm not gonna listen to the teacher because you are going to hurt me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so that's with that. There's also um, ambivalent. So that's like anxious. So uh, you can see that with adolescents and kids as like the 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 youth who needs to constantly be by your side. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like the word clingy. Sometimes that's used to describe it. I personally just don't like that word. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that's where it goes. Kind of constant reassurance, constant reassurance, because the reassurance is not there. And if it is there, it's very inconsistent in the home. Hmm. So, I, oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I was going to say, so that kind of stems from that. Hmm. I had experienced, um, uh, before I was working with adolescents, I was working in continuing education. So adults, like high school for adults. And I started there when I was 24 and I met, um, I had a lot of students who were in their, um, you know, in and around my age, later twenties or thirties. And a lot of them came in with, um, uh, a lot of the, uh, the attitudes, like the personalities that you were describing where it's like automatic defiance because, you know, like you said, like either that had been experienced in like their personal relationships with their families, or a lot of them had really terrible experiences with educators. And it was like, they would come in and kind of be defiant or give this like very aggressive attitude. And you're just like, Hey, nice to see you. Nice to have you here. And it was like, almost like it really like threw them for a loop because they're like, Oh, like you're an educator. You're supposed to hate me. Like you're supposed yep. to, like that was a kind of attitude and it, it, it would take a long time for them to trust you and build up the rapport. But eventually once they did, they realized like, oh, okay, you're actually here to help me. Like you, you actually care, like you actually care. Yeah. But I, I saw a lot of that and in, a, in adults. So like things that, you know, when, when those support, supporting systems, caring adults, caring people aren't there, it, it really just continues. And these were people older than me too. And it was, it was almost heartbreaking to see like how the system, and I mean system in terms of like family systems, education systems, society, like had failed them and no one Mm -hmm. had kind of stepped in to give them what they needed. Yeah. And it's taking the time. Yeah. It's disheartening. It's disheartening to see how many adults there are like that. And yeah, who just like, like we said, having that like one caring person in their life would have made all the difference. And like, it's wild because it's, you see so many things. I hear so many things too. Like, I don't know why that happened. And I'm like, what do you mean? You don't know why that happened. Like, I could have never seen that coming. I'm like, oh God, oh Mm -hmm. goodness. Mm -hmm. Like how, like, this kid has nothing, of course, they're gonna, they're, if they continue to have nothing and no one understands them, they are this negative stigma on society that all of a sudden at the age of 18 in America becomes an adult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, but what has changed for them besides their age? Yeah. yeah. Nothing. And, and so with you, like when you said, you know, eventually they come around and build that trust and build that rapport, that, 
so the biggest thing in trauma healing, and I want to applaud that to you, is relationships. So stop looking at things through a behavioral lens because that doesn't work with trauma. <laughs> That's not how it works. They need people that have such significant histories of complex trauma. They need that consistency. They need nurturing. They need co-regulation. So they need you to show up every single week, how many times you meet with them, whether it's every day, every single week, once a month, whenever you meet with them, you are still that person. You are still saying, hey guys, what's going on? Mm-hmm. You are being consistent. That is, and that's where it comes to, to changing. Um, that's where we can rewire, right? That's what creates that, that reframing and re- rewiring is saying like, oh, I'm having this experience. This is a, a pro-social, a healthy experience with, with an outside person. This is a healthy attachment. Hmm. And that's, that is, that is huge, 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 huge. That's the biggest thing. <laughs> and is there, I mean, there's not a, a cut and dry formula, but um, maybe, you know, like what's the, what's the data on the time that it takes to kind of undo or kind of heal um, trauma when you have those relationships? Like, is there data that shows that? Is there? Nope. Healing, healing is not linear um, in every single person. So that comes with that intersectionality and looking at the different forms of discrimination through like an intersect and, and how that's happened. Um, so understanding that every lived experience is different and every, because of who they are too, on top of it is different. So, so their healing experience is going to look very, very different. Um, and just understanding that however long it takes, it takes. And in some, I've worked with some youth who, um, you know, they, they go through that, that trauma healing and transformation in six months. And then I've, I've worked with other youth who in a year and a half, like they still can't get there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just comes down to, again, it's, it's not linear um, in their experiences. Everyone's experiences are so very different. And, and the support, again, the, the support they have is very different. So if, do they have a caregiver that's maybe coming to see them or doing ther- family therapy um, or, or do they not have that? Is everyone in the, their school district treat them like crap because they know that this kid lives on a campus and doesn't live in a home? Um, so it's all those little factors and social interactions that come into play too. Wow. So um, are you able to explain maybe some ways that we can um, learn to deal with trauma? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think understanding what trauma is and understanding it not from a behavioral lens is super is key. So knowing that like it lives in the body. This is science. <laughs> I mean, people like to argue with the social emotional, but this is science. So so understanding that, understanding that um, this isn't a trauma response is not a choice. It's not a mental thought and mental thought process of, 
oh yeah, I'm going to do this behavior when this happens. It's a visceral response. Um, it actually happens before it's able to get to that section of the brain and make a rational thought. Um, so understanding that, uh, I think understanding is, is the biggest thing. And then kind of coping with it, um, strategies get therapy. You need to talk, a person needs to talk to someone and maybe they don't talk to someone. Um, again, I do yoga and movement. Um, that's working with the body. Trauma stays until in the body until you move it out. Mm. So would you be able to describe it like that? As in that it stays in the body? Yeah, physically. Yeah. yeah okay. So it, it, it physically, it's, like you hear, like it's in your tissues, like it is in your body. <laughs> and I just, in, I oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, I described it to a friend, like having uh, like experienced like emotional trauma um, and having triggers now, which I, I was respectful of them, always respectful of them, but never personally understood them. Now I understand, I described it to a friend as like, it like just like sits in your veins. Like, it's like this, like feeling that like sits in your veins and then like, boom, it's just triggered and it, it like ignites your whole body. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's that visceral risk. It's again, I was watching, um, a show and this woman came forward about her trauma and she said, you know, I'm, I'm healed from it emotionally and mentally, but I still have physical reactions in my body mm-hmm. that are, that I can't control. And that's trauma living in your body. So, so now that we're talking about um, trauma in a physical form, I've heard of trauma triggering autoimmune diseases. Is that something mm-hmm. researched before? Yeah. So, so trauma in itself. Um, so if you look at it through, they call it ACE. So adverse childhood experiences. I really focus on complex trauma over just um I I don't want to say just trauma because a a traumatic event is still very, very real. Um, But I I really hone in on complex trauma and the effects of it. Um, And that with complex trauma and adverse childhood experiences, that opens the door to for adults to have a 60% higher chance of developing um, mental, physical, medical ailments ultimately. 60%. That's really high. It it comes down to, again, it's not just this mental emotional choice. And even if it is a mental emotional choice, how, how tired do you guys get at times when you've had a a rough day and you want to snap out of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You can't. (laughs) Yeah. And how do you feel like what, like for me, I get migraines, I'll be exhausted. So that's not healthy physically, like migraines are not healthy. So, so consistently having something like that, if you can imagine snowballing, it's just, it, it really goes after your physical body. Yeah. It's detrimental on your health for sure. Mm-hmm. It really puts yeah. in perspective how prolonged trauma in your body can impact you. Like how can we continue to live without processing our trauma? Like it, 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 I, 
I, I just don't know. I'm speechless. Like, I don't know how we could do that to ourselves. And I know we've had conversations before about like, how did I live with having anxiety like this for so long? Like, how did I live, you know, in this kind of conditioning for so long without processing it? And I couldn't imagine going back to before I was aware of this, before I started processing it. And I think, oh my gosh, I lived like this basically my whole life. And that's why I was an angry person. And that's, yeah, we had, we always said, why are we so angry? I was so angry. We have no reason to be angry. Yeah. Cause I could never process my trauma. Yeah. Yeah. You lived in the sympathetic nervous system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that, that mobilization and there's a whole thing. So like, again, trauma is so complex and going into it, but just so you guys know too, there's, um, I, I love it. Polyvagal theory um, just blew my mind and really framed it in a way that was like, holy cow. And I, when I work with clients, I use a polyvagal approach, um, in, in a therapeutic setting because it allows me to literally see where their nervous system is based off of understand polyvagal theory. So now I know how to approach them and what, um, what modalities could work, what interventions could work. So living in that sympathetic nervous system, um, they call it mobilization. It's, it's framed as mobilization. So if I were to come up to you and say, you know, I really think you should do a meditation and, and you're living in your mobilization, you're like, get out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so understanding what the sympathetic nervous system, and that's a whole other thing too, and really complex, but understanding what the vagus nerve looks like and what it presents as when it comes to trauma um, is a huge, I, I mean, my success rates and, and when I started like incorporating that into um, therapy was like, holy cow, because it really hones in on like that nonverbal. Yeah, which I think a lot of times we're quick to dismiss like people's nonverbal cues and and like movements and mm-hmm. but yeah if you're actually paying attention to it like you can pick up especially if you pick up people's energy yeah. it's like yeah you're yeah. very sensitive to it yeah 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 and um like kind of going back to how do we cope with it movement is huge understanding is huge having a support system that sees you and hears you for you is the biggest 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 thing mm-hmm. um well I say biggest thing but they're all big things um also, not just any type of therapy, getting trauma-informed or trauma-sensitive therapy um, be, because it's very different. The, the approach is going to be more behavioral-focused rather than getting down to that root cause and understanding that. Hmm. And I know, uh, like, so we're in Canada and you're in the United States. I know in Canada, it's really difficult to access um, resources for therapy it's not covered by the government we might if you have um, like work benefits it might be covered through work but nonetheless it's still very difficult to actually make an appointment um, and uh, actually sit down with a therapist with a counselor is it like that in the states uh I think that's hard to answer I I'm I'd be interested to see how it looks and how to compare it. Um, I mean, it's becoming more of a, an open thing and you can get 
it covered with insurance. Mm -hmm. um, but it's challenging to access appropriate treatment. And I don't want to say that's more detrimental because at least you're being offered something which is great. But at the same time, it's that's part of like the greater reality of what's happened in today and age, today's day and age is that we haven't received appropriate treatment. So, so yeah, the, the not getting appropriate treatment um, is huge. And it's, that's what we see actually a lot with kids in the system. And that's one of my biggest things for like stepping out of the field and saying like, what am I doing? What am I gonna do? Is that there are so many alternative interventions that can be implemented that aren't implemented. And it comes down to systemic reasons. And I'm over that. <laughs> Do you think that it's better for youth or for anybody, um, even if they're not accessing or they're not able to access, let's say that they need um, a therapist that specializes in trauma, but one is not available. Is it is still beneficial to access a therapist, a counselor, a psychologist, like regardless? I think it could be. Um, I think it could be in the sense that the biggest, like a huge factor is that relational key. And, and so maybe someone that isn't, doesn't define themselves as trauma-informed, maybe they're more trauma-informed than they understand they are in the field. So I like to give them, I like to give everyone the hope that you're in this field because you do innately know something about it. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I think it could be, I think where again, um, it, it gets really detrimental is when you're um, implementing other interventions. And actually, because of that, we've seen um, so destructive behaviors or harmful behaviors tend to, you tend to adapt different behaviors, right? Because you're learning how to stop that behavior and maybe you do have a relationship. So you do start implementing it because you like this person, they make you feel safe, they make you feel secure and trusted. Um, but with trauma, it's that behavior and the trauma is gonna go somewhere else. And that's where in, in all honesty, when I've youth I've worked with, that's when we'll start seeing those sexualized behaviors, which is, is obviously detrimental. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it can be vice versa like maybe they were uh, engaging in those sexualized behaviors but maybe they upped the ante mm -hmm. and had to or it be they they go to a different behavior because of it it's it's going to come out trauma will like present itself trauma responses will happen um so we can it's almost like masking it to not get appropriate mm -hmm. treatment Hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. just kind of emphasizes like the importance of having a really strong team around you, strong yeah, mental health uh, team and system, and yeah, mm -hmm. oh, bringing awareness to it as well. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. what this conversation is doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it before I even got started. I'm I like, oh, this is so good. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. So what advice do you have for someone who's dealing with trauma or a traumatic experience? The biggest advice and the biggest advice I give to other people is, is 
I, I hear you and I see you. Um, and I, I will not claim that I understand. Um, and I think making it very known because again, it's that power dynamic. And, and although I think we've been taught that, and I still say it like, oh yeah, I understand. Um, it, it minimizes what's happening in that moment for, for people going through this experience. And you might not have that intention, um, but that's, that's what can happen. And that's the thought that can happen. Um, so just understanding that you might not understand and that's okay. And, and saying that to someone too, like, I, I don't understand, but I'm right here with you. And, and what can I do? So like, can we validate people's feelings? Like, I understand that you are feeling this way. I can't relate to it or I can't experience that feeling, but I understand that you're feeling this way. Yeah. So validating, like, I'm hearing that you feel this way and I hear you. Like, I, I see that you, like, you're telling me, um, I, you, maybe you can say you understand. Um, I think it's, it's really hard with, with youth and adolescents I've worked with because I mean, they have nothing. Um, they're, they haven't seen their family in five years and then a global pandemic happens and they really haven't seen their family. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, I don't understand. I am not living in your shoes. I'm, I, I don't. So I think going through that experience as a clinician with adolescents really reframed that that phrase of I understand for me and put it in like a different perspective of like maybe I'll try and not use that word as much yeah language is so important yeah yeah oh language 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 realize like sometimes we don't realize the things that we're saying I know like I have to watch what I say with my kids too like a lot of them will say miss I'm just I can't I've got I can't like I just can't right now I got no energy and I'm tired and I legitimately get it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm tired. I have no energy, but it's hard to say that because like, I always refrain from saying that, like saying like, you know, I get it. I understand what you're going through because Mm -hmm. I get it as, you know, a 34 year old adult, I get it, but I don't get it in this moment in your shoes as a 16 year old. So (laughs) you're experiencing. Yeah. 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 And, and so the other thing too, is, is working with that population or working with anyone who's experienced trauma is acknowledging that the, that holding space is key. So presenting an opportunity for them to have a platform, um, to feel heard and seen and understood and safe and, and not almost approaching it with your own agenda. Mm-hmm. like sitting in silence can be super awkward <laughs> yeah. it can be super awkward but I had I had one youth I worked with who who said that I was a great listener and when he said that I I mean I thought to myself oh my goodness I feel like I'm the talker in this therapeutic relationship <laughs> but I think for him is I listened in the sense that I held space without saying anything. And I, I listened to what his body was telling me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so knowing that, again, it can be really uncomfortable to experience that silence, but 
some people just need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one thing that I realized, like going back to talking about like this collective uh, experience that we're having with the pandemic. That's one thing that I realized throughout uh, this school year is that I would be standing in the photocopy room with coworkers I've ne- literally never talked to before. I only knew them by the last name, didn't even know their first name. And them just like unloading for like 20 minutes beside the photocopier because they needed it and like not saying anything just saying like yep 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 and then after there was like I'm so sorry I didn't mean like no obviously we need like we're all going through this you needed it and the amount of times that that's happened where you just had to like listen like people need to be heard yeah no I can understand that like being a yoga teacher and Mm -hmm. holding space for people in practice Mm -hmm. it's funny the amount of people that will come up to you and just like spill like everything that's going on and I'm there like ready to receive it Mm -hmm. (laughs) well it, it is says so much about both of you right that you have this experience because you're providing an environment that allows them to feel safe and secure despite anything that's happened and I think sometimes we overlook the simplicity of that and and misunderstood that it's actually not simple that being able to have that experience and like feel safe um, around another stranger or a different environment is really hard to do and mm-hmm. and and so honoring that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm it goes to show how important our connections are with people. Yeah. Whether we think we have a connection with someone or not, like they might feel a huge connection with you. Connection is key. Yeah. And even just connecting with another human, like, like you were saying with like some of your, the youth that you've been working with, they may not have seen their families. So being able to, connect with someone like even for a few minutes I think is so impactful Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and just yeah just always approaching with that relational under I'm so glad you said connection because you look into polyvagal theory more (laughs) all about (laughs) establishing safety and connection and how yeah all of that (laughs) and healing and oh Oh, I love your excitement. I know, I love it. You have me excited about it. I know, I know. I love love when people just like nerd out about, and please don't take that offensively. I nerd out about like weird history things. Like people just like nerd out about what they're passionate about. I love it. I love it. I love it. I want to carry around like a a skeleton with like the nervous system and the brain and like all the things. I want one so bad. (laughs) Some little pocket stuff. Yeah. Where I can be like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how nerdy we get with it. I know. Right. I love it there's there's got to be little pocket skeletons. Yeah. Just check Amazon. Like there's got to be. <laughs> I need the whole. I I need the nervous system. I need the brain. Like I don't oh, know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm. I think a friend might be making one, like artistic, like drawing one for me. She she hinted at it. Oh. Um, <laughs> so it'd be cool to carry around that little like drawing. Just, and you need like a little case for it now on wheels and just like <laughs> pop it out the things I would do the things I would do <laughs> I love it I love it um, 
Do you have any final messages for listeners? Anything that you think that is um, important for them to know about perhaps their experience with trauma or connecting with other people who may be experiencing trauma? Yeah. Um, you, it, it feels like you're alone, um, but you are not alone. And I can say that till I'm blue in the face and it doesn't change what you're feeling. Um, but I just would like to reiterate that and that your experience is very real. Your experience has happened and you are validated and someone this is a big world and it can feel really small sometimes and really, really big, but someone wants to hear you and someone wants to be there for you. And um, just put you first, put your needs first. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank yeah. you for sharing. That's really nice. It's like, <laughs> you're saying that. That's just so sincere. So if <laughs> listeners want to reach out to you, maybe discuss mm-hmm. trauma in greater detail or maybe connect with you on resources, where, where can they find you or can they reach out to you? Yeah, so um, I recently started like a new, like almost business public Instagram account. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that new age soul. Mm-hmm. Um, so new period age period soul. Um, I'm definitely easiest to get in touch with through there. I don't know what it is, um, but but so far that's that's a great way to get in touch with me. Or if somehow you see like a mutual friend, like hopefully that mut- if you reach out to that mutual friend, they'll reach out to me. <laughs> <laughs> we will include that information in the show notes and as well on our Instagram page. Yeah, we will. So it'll link right yeah. to you. Thank you so much for coming on our show today and talking with us. It was so informative. It was just, it was such a wonderful experience connecting with you. Yeah, I think I could probably talk to you all night on trauma. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or about little skeletons. (laughs) I love it. I don't know. I just, I wish everyone could see your excitement right now. (laughs) I know. It's so bad. I appreciate the both of you I part of my excitement with talking about such a complex topic is that people are willing to hear it um and and willing to try and understand I mean I'm going to be forever learning about the effects of trauma in all the ways mm-hmm. um and and so will so many other professionals but um yeah it's just great to connect with other like-minded people who who want a better world and better experiences. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to be able to connect with people like that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks, Corinne. Thank you. That's it for our show today. Thanks for joining. Remember, you can always reach out to us on our socials on Instagram at sisterhood underscore of underscore healing or on TikTok at Sisterhood of Healing. We love to hear from you, so please reach out to us at any time. Thank you for journeying with us today. We'll see you next time.